1: Phil Illy is an auto heterosexual author who, in his words, aims to mainstream auto heterosexuality and destigmatize it so that more of his kind can jettison shame and live in union with their inner cross gender spirit. Prior to writing a soon to be released book about his sexual orientation, Phil received degrees in physics and mechanical engineering before retiring to Portland, Oregon, where he became best known for his skill at handstand working and juggling hula hoops. Here's a conversation with Phil.
0: Welcome back to Transparency. I'm Aaron Terrell, joined as always by uh, my co host, Aaron Kimberly. And we are very grateful today to have with us Phil, who is the author of the literal book on auto heterosexuality. Um, Thank you so much for being here, Phil.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Aaron and Aaron. If you need to refer uh, to one of us, we usually go
1: by Aaron T or Aaron K. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that. Okay.
0: You you were you say in the beginning of your book that you you realized kind of um, uh, about what would you say about 2013 or so it was quite a, quite a ways back you realized that that autogynophilia uh was what you were experiencing that was the, the best explanation for your experience of sexual orientation but at that same time you realized you're not allowed to talk about it.
2: Um, I actually realized that. That was that 2013 anecdote was just the first gender euphoria experience I had, and it confused the shit out of me. Oh, okay. Uh, and 2019 was when I actually stumbled upon it, because um, I was dating someone that um, I didn't understand what woke was at the time, but she was that, and um, we had some discussions about sex and gender, and it was it was tense and. Afterwards, like after that relationship dissolved, I was wondering, like, am I wrong about this? Like, I don't want to have incorrect opinions that could harm people. And so I went to the library to uh, get some books on gender. And I saw um, Alice Dreger's book, which then led me to Bailey's book. And then I saw the typology in there and there's one type that's homosexual and there's one type that's what they call the And I knew that my dissatisfaction with maleness and desire to be female hadn't, I wasn't attracted to men. So I knew by process of elimination that autogynophilia was the only option there. And as I learned more, um, I stopped repressing pretty much immediately after realizing i was that thing because it no longer made sense to try to subject to use the power of logic to suppress um what is ultimately a sexual orientation so um yeah it's been about four years now almost four years since i had that self-realization that i was autogynophilic and i immediately um just became obsessed with reading the research on it and learning about it, Um, the autism took over and um, I just, for about a year straight, I obsessively was reading the literature. And um, after about a year of that, it seems that if I didn't turn that knowledge into something, it would have just been kind of a masturbatory search for knowledge for lack of a better term. And so I started making a book and then after two and a half years of that, I finished the manuscript for it. Um, and yeah, it should be coming out in a few months.
0: I'm really excited for it uh, to be released. I just, uh, I, I, I think I've read most of it at this point. And, um, one thing that really stands out that's really long overdue is how, um, it's not it neither glorifies nor stigmatizes but it's also very just like the you know, just like the sexual uh, the the sex research research does as well but it's not approachable whereas yours is very easily digestible readable but it's not um uh yeah there's there's no value judgments anywhere in it which is really really refreshing
2: yeah i people have such intense emotions about the subject of attraction to being the other sex and i just I wanted to neutrally describe what it is because every there's so many people having strong opinions about it without knowing first, Hey, what is this thing that I have opinions about? And I feel like they're skipping a very important step by doing that. And so I wanted to describe it neutrally so that, but also in an accepting way that makes it clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I, yeah, it's fine. And I just want, my kind to you know not be so confused anymore or have secret harbor secret shame about it and i want them to just realize it's not a big deal and and that if they do want to transition just that they understand the ultimate reason why they want it you know even if the more proximal reasons such as i'm suffering are are what they think is driving them i think it's important that they understand. Why it's happening, so that you can give more fully informed consent to the process of gender transition. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good point. What, well, what, when you read Bailey's book, um, you know, which goes into a fair bit of detail about what the the heterosexual subtype of gender dysphoria is. What, what did it leave you? I mean, obviously, it it's, um th- there was enough there that you were able to see, okay, this is this is something I relate to. But what did it leave you? What did you feel it was missing that, that you felt like, I need to dig into this topic more deeply and, and write about it more deeply?
2: Well, there's main, it only gets brought up in the last third of the book. And there's only one chapter, if I can recall, that's explicitly about autogonophilia only. And so I did I didn't necessarily have the thought that, oh, there's not enough in Bailey's book, because immediately after learning about it, I'd start looking up stuff on the internet. And so it's not like I'm limited by what is in Bailey's book and yeah. And I I know like people have criticized him for maybe talking about it in a crass way, but considering the time it was published and, you know, his age and considering the culture he grew up in, I, it kind of seems like almost normal for that time. So it doesn't seem especially egregious. Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I see a lot of Bailey haters out there and I don't personally feel animosity towards him. I'm glad he's put effort into talking about this and researching it. Um, But once I read Bailey's book, I then um went online and Kate Brown's blog was one of the first things that I read. I read basically all of that. I went and watched any podcast interviews there were, such as like on doc Amate's YouTube channel. he did interviews with um Bailey Blanchard and company and I just basically consumed everything I could, and then i I don't know why but it took me a month to finally read Aunt Lawrence's book, and then yeah, after that it was. Yeah, that was a pretty sobering moment. That book can be a downer at times, but I, I really appreciate how thorough it is, how rigorous her logic is, the detail. It's 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 an amazing work of scholarship with an unfortunate title in terms of if you're trying to get your ideas across to <laughs> your people, maybe pick a title that like doesn't hurt them in the feels. And um but I'm hugely thankful for her. I want to mention that, too, for her work. She's amazing at all the scholarship she did. It's so solid. And so, yeah, after reading her book, I then tried asking trans women online about it, which, as y'all may imagine, that may not have gone well. And so they they were unanimously and vehemently opposed to the idea that I might be autogynophilic, and like kind of suggested it might be internalized transmisogyny or whatever um and so I I had a lot of doubt after that because this theory seemed to describe my experience well and this theory also proposed things that I had never tried before like say like sexually so it proposed things. And then I thought, oh, let's, let's do an experiment, see if I fit this. And then, you know, the arousal often did happen. And it's like, well, that seems like pretty goddamn strong confirmation that (laughs) this theory has something to it. And so I just kept reading. um, Because I had such intense doubt after trans women reacted in that way, because it was unanimous. There wasn't even one that was like, yeah, that that's a thing, you know? And so that that led me. I went all the way back to Hirschfeld at that point, because it was clear to me that the politics of our time were sort of like corrupting the information I had access to or what was being portrayed to me. So I went back to Hirschfeld's book to see what he was describing from back then because back then they didn't have widespread ideas about transness and a lot of the people in his book hadn't even met someone else like themselves they thought they were the only one and when i read that book and it accorded with what the theory of autogynophilia said i concluded that (laughs) i'd clearly been lied to by trans women and it was driven by shame and a need to protect a certain self image of themselves. And it bothered me that I'd been lied to. And I kind of didn't want that to happen to anyone else again. Yeah. And yeah.
1: so it's hard to know where the original lie was. I mean, how many of those trans women were also
2: lied to? Exactly. I'm sure. Both of you have looked at, say, on Reddit, where trans women, like, say, in RMTF, there'll be a thread where someone says, hey, I get aroused by thinking of myself as a woman, or I have gotten aroused by putting on clothes. Is this a fetish? Like, what is this? And then the consensus in the response, (laughs) uh, the mental gymnastics, um, the, the consensus in the response is always something along the lines of, It's possible if something makes you really happy for that to lead to arousal, you know, because feelings are a sort of like physiologic body arousal. And like sometimes that can also lead to sexual arousal, but it doesn't mean that you're not trans. Um, I mean, they're right about that part when they say it doesn't mean you're not trans, but. um, Basically. The you know, the euphoria boner meme. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that it gets. I'm impressed with the mental gymnastics of some of my kind. To have you know, just my reasoning is if if there's a particular action or class of stimuli that turns you on, um, that's likely indicative of something about your sexuality, aka your sexual orientation. And it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my brain just spaced out because I have so much trouble just imagining how they pull off the gymnastics on that one.
0: I think I think denial is just such a powerful uh powerful motivator um to to yeah to, to go through those those gymnastics. Um I, my my favorite is often um I I don't want to be a woman anymore after I uh, after I ejaculate. And then the, the the responses to those I get even a little bit more ridiculous. Trying to convince them that you know no, this is not a fetish. Um, it's yeah, and I, right. again,
2: was that exactly? It, like they say, it's not a fetish, and there's so much more to it than that. And my response in my head, I don't. I learned not to post. Um, <laughs> yeah. re- I've been
0: banned from too many places.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I I've my response that that I think is yeah when with regular heterosexual sex it's not just about getting your penis in a vagina and thrusting until you ejaculate there's this whole emotional romantic component that makes you think differently about women it it makes you care about them and it makes you think differently of them and it just the the romantic component to sexuality is so vast and and so deeply embedded in our psychology and it just i it doesn't make any sense to me why um like when trans women say there's so much more to it than sexuality i'm thinking like mm-hmm. yeah no shit like that's how sexuality works but yeah, I don't know.
1: yeah. it seems like both like a lot of different sides of the debate, whether it's, you know, trying to degrade trans women because, oh, it, it's a fetish, you know, and using AGP more as a slur and trans women denying that they have AGP. I mean, both sides of that seem kind of seem to have very cartoonish understandings of what AGP <clears throat> is, which I mean, I started there, too, right? I mean, when you first learn about it, you start at the surface, and then if you take the time to really try to understand, it opens up into a lot more nuance. And you're right that every sexual orientation isn't just about having an orgasm. And I think people underestimate how much social behavior in general is related to sexual orientation, which we may not notice because Mm -hmm. the vast majority of people are heterosexual. And so our society is organized around heterosexual sexual um, social behavior. So yeah. I think we're we're kind of blind to that connection. So when someone has a different orientation, be it gay or AGP or whatever that orientation is that's atypical, the behavior that goes along with that also looks atypical and 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 then it's easy to collapse that into well, that's just a fetish.
2: Yeah. Basically, the way people use fetish is just anything that is not getting your body closer to an adult a physically mature adult for some rubbing and then some sex like anything that goes beyond that is a fetish you know it it doesn't it it's that's why you'll you'd probably notice in the book i don't use the word fetish or kink really and i mentioned a couple times that it it's unhelpful because it it lifts some sexualities over others in a way that kind of is a value judgment and also isn't relevant for the people that have these sexual orientations they they just have to deal with their sexual orientation as it is it doesn't matter whether or not it's normal or a lot of people have it or how popular it is like that is their sexuality and they well, their emotions and sentiments will be swayed by their particular sexuality. And it doesn't matter if we classify it as a kink or a fetish, It's it shapes their thinking just as much as a quote-unquote normal sexuality would. Yeah, I wonder if it would be more helpful to group them according to
1: harmful or not harmful. I mean, unfortunately, AGP, because it's a target location error, gets lumped in with other paraphilias like, like um, pedophilia. You know, and pedophilia, if acted on, is harmful. But I don't see where AGP in itself right. is is harmful.
2: Right, yeah. There's sexualities like allopedophilia and allozophilia that have... But the erotic target is not capable of consent. And so, innately, there's harm from the expression of those. And wh- whereas... The thing with all these autosexual orientations is because it involves yourself, you can consent to yourself, <laughs> you know? And so it, it depends on how you express it, whether or not you're doing it in an ethical or proper way. You know, like I gave the <laughs> sort of joking example in the book that it, someone like an auto might be into role playing as an animal, but they shouldn't mark their territory in the pet aisle at Walmart. You know, like that's not cool. But if autosu files want to have primal bestial sex in the privacy of their own spaces, I can't see any ethical harm from that. You know. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: In your book, you do you you go into the different those kinds of uh, non uh, non-human or, uh, non human or non typical uh auto versions of these sexualities like zoophilia and you know, dragons and things like that and for the
2: dragons are cool <laughs> <laughs> for the,
0: for the purpose of explaining like these 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 sexualities exist for the same reason that auto heterosexuality exists because if you have this if there is a target that can be sexualized that can also be auto sexualized and that's what we're seeing uh in those but i want to talk about you you obviously expand upon uh, Blanchard in the previous um, uh, research on uh, mm-hmm. on erect, erect, the, the erotic target location errors, um, but you you diverge in a couple of uh, important ways. The first one being uh, the often neglected autoandrophilia. So you you posit that there is a direct female equivalent of Autogynephilia, and that's something that um, I know I've had this conversation a few times with uh, uh, Mike Bailey, for example, who denies that it, it who says that it, it doesn't exist, um, except in forms of, say, um, like the romanticization or fetish, fetishization of gay men. But the the uh, the internalized target um, of of AA that would be auto-androphilia does not exist in females. And your book makes a very, very convincing case that that's not actually accurate.
2: Yeah, I think when something, I've thought about why doesn't Bailey and Blanchard, why haven't they come around to that yet? And I think something to consider is that um, a few decades ago, the gender population in the clinics, what there was very few androphilic females showing up And I think part of that is the literature said that there was only a female type. So I bet there was a lot of androphiles that looked at the literature and didn't see themselves in it and thought that they weren't experiencing something that was transsexualism, you know, Uh, and it was after after Lou Sullivan, his his really good advocacy for his kind um, that that really helped change it to where the other androphilic females realized that there was others like them. And I think that helped it make them more likely that they realized they could benefit from gender transition and that they had a legitimate kind of desire to be the other sex, you know, and also, I think another reason Bailey and Blinchard haven't come around to the autoandrophilia thing yet is that it's classified as a paraphilia and they there's sort of like this axiomatic assumption that females don't get those, or if they do, it's exceedingly rare. And I, I agree that they're less common. If you look at the literature, it is, for instance, like the, the Czech population survey of paraphilias, um, is, it's an excellent one with 10,000 people. It's great study. Um, there's females admit to paraphilic interest way not even way less that just less you know than than males but it's never zero on, percent on any of them there's some females are into any of the stuff that males are into it just happens less often and it seems that their their sexuality is less rigid so and I assume that they don't have the push of testosterone making sex seem like such a primal need, like food or water. I think it can be for males sometimes. Um, Yeah, I think that females are also less likely to end up as sex offenders through, you know, misbehavior. And so there's a lot of reasons, I think, why some of the, the more like the legacy generation of sexologists, how they're just the things they they saw that formed their opinions is a different environment. So they will have different opinions about what is the case. Whereas today we have the Internet, we have a very different culture and we just have way more access to see things and learn about them. And so I think that's why it's becoming more common to know that females can get these sort of anomalous sexual interests.
1: Even true exclusive homosexuality is less common in females than it is males. There's far more gay men than there are gay women.
2: Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Well, one of the hypotheses that's pretty good is the fraternal birth order effect work that Blanchard has done, which something I find curious is that Blanchard's work gets criticized heavily, like particularly his typology, but strangely from trans women i never hear them criticizing his birth order work it's i don't know it's a strange omission can't figure out why (laughs) and um (laughs) yeah it's the homosexuality is more common in males and it seems in in line with maleness that it tends to be more category specific too where like a gay guy that's it's it's more likely that a gay man is like specifically super just into men and won't budge at all in the gender sense. Where it seems like with um, female homosexuality, there's a little more wiggle room, you know. But still, I'm that's not me denying that there's lesbians that are just strictly into females. I just think it's, it's a little less strict. Um. Yeah.
0: Another element in which you you diverge from, uh, or or maybe I'm not sure, diverge is the right word here, but uh, you proposed a sixth type of auto sexuality. So Blanchard's yeah. typical, you know, you got the physiological, the uh, the clothes, the um, uh, behavioral, etc. Uh, but you propose a sixth type, which is uh, psyche.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've noticed. I it seems to me that there's so there's this me and me and another um hobbyist sexologist are are putting together a thing to look into this right now to see if there's empirical backing for this thing i proposed just yeah i want to be clear that we haven't empirically verified this category of psyche autoheterosexuality but it i came upon that thinking when i had learned about therians and other kin and they talk about this concept of mental shifts where they get into an animal mindset and then you know because they have because they're in an animal mindset you know the thinking that involves words and stuff goes away it becomes more primal they might even start behaving in an animalistic way and it it was sort of like a eureka moment where i realized that this ability to have mental shifts is something that can happen to people with any type of autosexual orientation because There's plenty of instances in the sexology literature where they describe about transvestites, you know, being in a feminine mindset while dressing, but not during other times. And you can see when sissies talk online, how they'll be like in a feminine mindset. But then after they orgasm, all of a sudden, the male mindset is just immediately back. So there's this it, it seems to me that this mental shift phenomenon happens across these different autosexual orientations, and that when I so that's one piece of what led me to the, thinking about this. The other part is I was looking at the the criteria in the DSM for the gender dysphoria diagnosis. And the last one said something along the lines of that the person feels that they have the typical thoughts or reactions. Of the other sex you know which indicated to me that there's something about thinking like there's this form of like basically this thought of having like male mind or female mind there's some it's sort of like consciousness embodiment and and once i had that insight you know after figuring out what do i name this um i I recall that I had I had seen that mentioned in um, the literature that people talk about having a mindset that's more like the thing they're trying to be. And it it does seem to me that, you know, there, there's basically, if you put it like these different subtypes in everyday language, they're about having the body or the bodily functions of something they're about behaving or dressing like something or about occupying the social standing of something or having the mind of something you know this mind one is the one i'm proposing and it, it does seem to me that this could be i think that this mind this consciousness embodiment i suspect that it is that inner sensation that autosexuals talk about of when they say, oh, I feel like a woman or a man or a dragon or a demon, like when they say things like that, um, I do believe they're experiencing that feeling. I experienced mental shifts, so I, I know they happen and I know how to, I've learned how to induce them over time and they're nice. Yeah, they're, I like them. And so I know firsthand that it happens and it also seems to line up but I came to that conclusion from reading the literature, I didn't, this didn't come about through an internal gnosis. I um, yeah, basically, I just noticed, people felt like they had the mindset of a particular thing. And then it impacted often how they um, how they acted after that, you know, in terms of like, behavior or what they decided to wear. And then in turn, those actions reinforced the, the like, feminine or masculine mindset. And it's sort of like a, a cycle of reinforcement. And so it's easy to see how, if if this is the case, how it works, how over time this reinforcement would lead to a more consistent, stable sense of cross-identification.
0: And of there's course, a, there's a, yeah. a um- an American, uh, this American life episode. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago or so. They don't actually talk about autogonophilia, but there is a, a yeah, trans, it, it's it's yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's a trans woman, uh, who well, she's she's part time a trans woman and part time just just a regular man. And and basically, it's all about these mental mind shifts. They don't, I don't think they say it at I such, think I a know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the look, autistic she, one. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. She can. Yeah. It can be like months at a time. She's in woman mode, and then months at a time in in man mode, and or it can be like multiple times in a day. It'll shift. Um, yeah,
2: those are mental shifts.
0: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. See, I'd never heard of anything like that before, so that's that's interesting.
2: Yeah, and I only came on this from learn from. I went really deep last summer into reading about Therians and other kin. I found all of their community surveys, put them in into spreadsheets, and pick looked at all the data. And I learned a lot about, basically, I found that learning about trans species identity is was the fastest way to learn the general structure of autosexual trans identity, because species are so vastly different. So whatever it is that that community settles upon as stable concepts that they use, it likely applies regardless of the specific erotic target in question.
1: Interesting. I wonder yeah. if those mental shifts, I'm curious if that's a, um,
2: an aspect of
1: autism. If that could be a factor. Because yeah. um, theory of mind I, and various concepts related to autism would apply.
2: Right. I would expect then, actually, like, I, I'm an autist, so um, I have some firsthand experience with autism. And it. I think, like, half of autists are, are have alexithymia which which is basically it makes it hard to put into words what you're feeling it's hard to sense what you're feeling i have it and it you know i've had so many times like partners ask how are you feeling and i think really hard and i'm just like i literally don't know <laughs> and don't it's not an, for I, lack I, of I, trying
0: i don't have a diagnosis but i know exactly what you're talking about i experience that exact thing it's like yeah. I, yeah. Ask what i'm feeling I, I don't know how to tell you how i'm feeling what yeah, yeah.
2: And then for a while, I felt bad about it. It's like, oh, I'm just so male-brained. I'm not in touch with my feelings. And then I learned about this and, and its connection with autism. And it's like, oh, no, I just have part of my brain is not working right. And it's not for lack of trying. Like, I mean, I would love to be a woman. So, like, I've definitely tried to feel more, you know, be more in touch with my feelings. Because, like, that's supposedly a, a womanly thing. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that autism would necessarily contribute to mental shifts because it would, it, I guess, specifically, if they're alexithymic, then it would be hard to even pinpoint that feeling. You know, before I had the language for of mental shifts um, and could start pinpointing it through, like, I, I would know how to induce it. And so I'd, like, practice to see, to like, practice being able to sense it. And I was... You know, I can sense it now when a mental shift is happening, but it was like a learning process to be able to perceive it.
1: The labeling of it is interesting too. So, you, I mean, it just to use um, perhaps a more politically and emotionally neutral example of like the dragon. So an auto dragon. Where, yes, where they feel like Man. they have the mindset of a dragon. I mean, of course, how would anyone know what the <laughs> mindset of a dragon is? But at the same, but they're, but they're, Grouping together a cluster of, I guess sensations or or um they're they're attributing meaning to that experience. and yeah. and labeling it, well, this feels like how I imagine a dragon would feel like, even though I mean dragons are a completely mythical character and don't exist
2: right. And so, yeah, when when other can have those mythical kin types, um they, they often they try to they're wondering for themselves like what is the ideology of their condition how the hell do i feel this way and so they often they think in terms of past lives or other dimensions or things like that um i think some of them like once this theory gets out there some of the more based ones will come around quickly and then it'll become more normal over time to use this theory i'm proposing but um yeah the it's yeah it, it's so interesting how yeah like say if someone identifies as a dragon how they'll then maybe decide to make a treasure hoard or <laughs> you know gather together like coins and trinkets for their for their hoard or wear a lot of sequins as their scales <laughs> oh that'd be cool yeah yeah no i like i I used the the example of dragons in the book just because they're mythical, so just to show that how incredibly far out and diverse sexual orientation can be. And also dragons are just cool. So like, I'm gonna pick them as the example. it does add and... some
1: credibility to what Bailey has said that he he feels that that um people can be born with um the propensity for an uh, Target location error, but that the specific target isn't he, does, he doesn't think is innate, and that makes sense. I mean, if someone if that target could be a dragon or you know something that doesn't even exist, right. how could he possibly have an innate, inborn target of something that doesn't even exist? But it makes so it makes more sense that the that the just the target location error in general is perhaps um what's what's innate about the person.
2: Well, I think all of those, I think even the attraction to animals would, if not necessarily the specific species, be innate. I think there's people are born with a predisposition towards um, having their sexual learning develop in certain ways. And, you know, because there are people that are zoophilic. And I think that is innate, you know, that's a stigmatized orientation. They didn't choose that um but it i think blanchard explained it pretty well in his uh 993 etle paper where he talked about how if i'm remembering right that people can have a propensity for say certain bodily features like say smooth skin or hair or things like like that and over time all those propensities develop into like a they coalesce into a, a sort of particular image or picture of what they're into you know like even just talking about human attraction there's you know people have attractions to different skin colors different like face shapes you know they like different sizes of limbs they like taller or shorter you know smooth hairy like there's so many different variables when it comes to someone's erotic preferences and um yeah i just think there's an innate capacity, um, people are born with a predisposition towards liking certain features. And you know, you, you mentioned that maybe the dragon attraction wouldn't be innate, but if we think evolutionarily, um, back in the chain, you know, uh, basically like each species, it has to have a sexual orientation such that it gets attracted to its own kind. and so if you go back, um, the, it seems like mechanistically we would have the structures in our body to be attracted to any particular thing, you know, because, you know, fish know that that like they want to get with fish, bears know that they want to get with bears, reptiles know, know to get with reptiles, you know, so and since those are all back in the, the evolutionary chain, I think we... Whatever structures it is in our body that lead to orientation, that sometimes something can go awry and then someone can get attracted to features that don't belong to their species,
1: which is which... in a way a perfect definition of a target location error,
2: right? It's that it well, oh that's I mean, that's actually something I wanted to mention about that term is that so like there's the erotic target location error theory that um explains these sort of attractions to being and something I tried to do um, with my language choices is in there's this ideological theory of where these orientations come from and so I, I prefer to call them like we know for sure that these autosexual orientations exist right like it's undeniable that they exist the theory about what causes them is the erotic target location error theory um but So that's like a hypothesis for where they come from. But basically, we know that there's autosexual orientations and most people have allosexual orientations, but, you know, this is it's the current best explanation for where autosexual orientations come from, and even if the ETL theory, ETL theory ultimately turns out not to be true and there's a different reason that these orientations come about, like the fact is these orientations exist.
0: And there seems to be a very strong correlation. You write about this in the book, and it's something that that's been in other literature, and I've 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 observed it just uh, just anecdotally, uh, in, in the in the pools of people around me. Um, but there's a very strong correlation between autosexualities um, or, or autoheterosexuality and autism spectrum disorder traits. Um, but you you also mentioned that that in the book that. There's actually also a strong correlation between autism spectrum disorders and the homosexual version of uh transgenderism. And that part actually surprised really? me a bit. Oh, did you not? I, I misread I, that. I, then. I said
2: <laughs> I, I, I I said non-homosexual
0: in, oh, in that
2: section.
0: I, then never mind. I definitely misread it. And it does yeah. correspond with what I uh, what I what I thought. Okay.
2: Um, I, I would say though, for 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 trans men that um I would say that since autism is associated with neurological masculinization and the homosexual ideology of trans men is strongly associated with neurological masculinization, you know, with their orientation, everything, I would expect there I, to be in homosexual trans men a propensity for autism. I think that, so you know, too. A, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And yeah. so, and so the only group of the four groups of trans people, um, the only one that I wouldn't expect to be autistic would be the the homosexual transsexuals uh, the males. You know, I wouldn't expect them to because that would cuz their orientation is associated with less neurological masculinization and also if they do have so many gender issues that they have to transition, they likely have some pretty high degree of innate femininity and so I just I wouldn't expect that them to have it but i would expect the other three subgroups of trans people to have higher rates of autism and particularly autosexuals because i mean if you look at the word autism it the aut in it comes from autos which is greek for self and it that's the same root that in front of autosexual so it 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 reflects a turn inward with Uh your attention and focus and so it doesn't surprise me at all that um that if someone has that turn inward that it applies not just to their sexuality but to autism and to vice versa that if someone has autism they'll be more likely to have it turn inward and something else about autism I want to mention is that it it seems that it independently contributes to gender issues um irrespective of the two known ideologies and I'm not saying that it's likely that people are transitioning just because of autism. Um, But I think it's, it's a pretty uniquely strong contributor, especially in females. Um, Yeah. There's, there's this really great dissertation by I think names Rita George or something. Have y'all read the dissertation about um, autism and sexuality and like she shows that basically she compares autists of both sexes to typical developing people of both sexes and the autists just have a way higher degree of feeling like they don't fit in with their birth sex some of them are just like i don't even fit in with the humans in general so like of course i don't fit in with gender and you know they a lot of them have gotten bullied by people of their birth sex you know for not fitting in the gender norms and so it does seem that autism is a it what i called in there Uh, autistic gender alienation, where someone can feel alienated from their own gender because of autism, I think that is a contributor to gender issues.
1: There's an interview um, I'll post on the show notes that uh, interview with Dr. Susan Bradley, who was the head psychiatrist of the Gender Clinic on Ontario back in the day. And she said in the interview that in hindsight, of course they were transitioning a lot fewer young people and and even adults back then but she said in hindsight they were probably missing a lot of autism in that in the cohorts
2: yeah and you know i think most of those were probably just autosexuals and you know if they were autistic they'd probably have a harder time introspecting if particularly if they're alexithymic like they would have trouble figuring out like what are my feelings i don't even know and so i i do think though that, yeah like when when you when people talk about gender transition and they're worried about like oh they're they're transing the homosexuals and they're transing these autists like when there's when they're talking about that um i with this two type model i use it's like well you yeah no shit the homosexuals and the autists are the ones with gender issues like homosexuality is a big contributor and then also the autosexual orientations are a big contributor like who
0: else would we be transing?
2: (laughs) yeah it's like what what are you expecting to see like it's clear that people just don't have the right model
0: yeah one thing i also wanted to bring up and this is uh it's something that i've observed uh, just in talking to people again, um, and that is, and it's surprising. It's it surprised me that I noticed the correlation. And and you you do write about it, but the uh, the incidence of auto androphilia in lesbians it seems completely counterintuitive. Yet I've spoken to many a lesbian who uh, confirms that they have that they are auto androphilic, and also lesbians. And I think to the vast majority of lesbians, this concept is going to be quite. Um, controversial and uh, uh not appreciated but what do, what do you what what are your thoughts on that how does that make sense
2: um well the thing a lot of auto females they don't they don't see the point of eroticism of being with a man like it would literally not be erotic for them to be put in the woman's position they don't see the point and so the only partner that makes sense for a lot of autoangrophiles would be a female because they wouldn't have to be implicitly put in the female role themselves. And also, you know, just in terms of uh gendered um like the sexual dimorphic psychology stuff, um, that if if someone does have an autosexual orientation, that's like probably associated with some neurological masculinization, which would then you know, maybe shift someone more towards being gynephilic a little bit too. So that's that's a contributor. And, um, yeah, that's something that'd be really cool to to investigate more. The it does seem that lesbians have a higher rate of autoandrophilia than um typical females. And you know, like Tailcall did some pretty good uh, research on that on their blog. Um, Who's survey Anon up oh, um tail called is um there i've early on in my learning process and even now um i learn they're like they're an expert on autogynephilia and and doing research they do an informal research you can find it at surveyanon.wordpress.com and they they do some really good investigating A lot of stuff that you know that mainstream sexual researchers are not investigating and they have a really deep insightful overall knowledge about transgenderism autosexuality and gender issues and they're basically like an unknown expert i guess i should probably ask them if it's okay to mention them and maybe you can edit it out if they tell me no um but Yeah, they're they're like an unknown expert, sort of like how, you know, until like I'm starting to come on podcasts, to talk about this book. I was an expert on this stuff, but no one knew. You know, there's some informal experts that just people don't know about. And so anyways, Tailcall did some research on investigating auto in females. And so that I, I cited it in that section of the book. To, and yeah, it does seem that lesbians have a higher incidence of auto And so it's really curious, like, does their gynephilia, is it metagynephilia? Or is it regular gynephilia? It's hard to know.
0: That's uh, the the concept of stone butches it made me think of the the the, mm-hmm. the, the stone butch is probably uh, yeah, yeah. metagynophilic, which uh, would not be would not yeah. be processed positively in the lesbian community. I will say that
2: right. But it makes complete sense that the the stone butch, who, if I remember correctly, that's someone that wouldn't want to be touched, right. They just play <clears> the <throat> sort of role. right. that that sort of person that seems to me. I would personally assume auto until I learned otherwise, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's it. It'd be, I'd love to learn more about that and I wish there would hope there will be more research about it. Cause that, it, that wouldn't have occurred to me that a lesbian could be, could have AAP because if they're not attracted to men, how could that be, how could that invert on itself? But so I, well, I would, I would, I had assumed that AAP would, we would see that more in gay men than we would gay women.
2: Well, yeah, something about like it's confusing because if you follow the etle etiological theory, it would seem confusing. But like if you set that that etiological theory aside and just know that these sexual orientations exist, and it usually seems like they line up in terms of the allo and auto sides, but it doesn't always. Um, there's I've there's some convincing cases I've seen of um, MTFs who are strictly androphilic and also autogynophilic which according to the etl theory you you would think that's not possible but i think it's we should maybe not assume that ideological theory as a given you know it's the current best explanation but i think it'd be better to keep our minds open to the fact that there can be people that have homosexual partner preferences and are probably even directly sexually attracted to The same sex but are also auto heterosexual and attracted to being the other sex and yeah it it's confusing but it it does seem to happen in in both both sexes of trans people and it i think the overlap i think that sort of homosexual preference with auto heterosexuality i think the overlap happens more often in females but that like i said it happens in males too there's at least one case i know of that I, i consider very convincing um, just because she does, she didn't care whether or not she was counted as autogynephilic in terms of sparing her identity or whatever. She just wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. And and I've also seen other cases I find convincing. And yeah, it's something curious about that. We don't know why.
1: No, one thing your book see, doesn't cover is theories, theories but just that there's theories, but no one really knows for sure what that mechanism is. Yeah.
0: One thing that you don't don't uh, cover in the book, and I'm interested your thoughts on is is especially when we talk about like the the, the psychic shifts is the impact that HRT has on a person's psychology. That's um, mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, like what what you know estrogen does to to a male's thought processes and testosterone to a female's. I think that 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 plays. A, a bigger factor than than a lot of people uh, realize or want to talk about.
2: Yeah, I th- I think the that hormones do have an effect and they change people's psychology, and also that the the mental shifts and desired the um, the desire from autosexuality to embody the consciousness of the other sex. I think that's a a separate cause of you know thinking like the other sex and that the they're they're kind of orthogonal um where both can be true at the same time and it's not just one or the other cover like here yeah there's a lot in there
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you packed yeah. a lot into that book it's well researched
2: thank you yeah i it i've worked it worked on it full time for i mean i'm still working at this full time i i have um like right now I'm in the book launch process and actually like I'm out of, uh, I ran out of funding cause I went way over the budget with how long it took. Um, cause books take longer than you think who knew. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if there's, oh, any so that's what I was shocked when you said you,
0: you figured it out in 2019. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that was very recent yeah. to, have, <laughs> to have all yeah.
2: this. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, so, right now I'm in the launch process. I'm working on getting a sub stack set up and getting some articles gonna start having social media accounts. i was I was trying to stand it down low for a long time just have privacy and full research mentality without distractions from dumb Twitter bullshit. And um, so yeah, right now I'm in the launch process. and so yeah, I want to mention that I do need funding to make it through to until royalties start coming in because I'm a pro. And so I, yeah, just uh, putting that message out there. If anyone wants to contact me and address that, thank you. Um, Will you give
0: a link to a PayPal or something and we can put in the show notes?
2: I don't yet, but yeah, I should set that up because the crowd, crowdfunding is also, that's nice and reliable in terms of it not being just one person. But yeah, yeah, I'll figure something like that out. I've just, I've just been, I started doing the project, just out of passion without regard for money and then i ran out of money and i was like oh shit i don't have any money and this is going to take way longer and so yeah i just i've been doing it out of sheer passion not for money and it's going to happen regardless of if i get money but like i need food and housing and stuff so yeah I imagine it will ultimately be
0: uh, be quite widely purchased and widely read but honestly not for a few years um, I just don't think culturally we are in in a time where it's going to be uh, readily accepted. Um, I think it'll help push push the uh, you know push the envelope in in the right direction, but I think I think a few years from now people are going to gobble it up. But right now, I think it's probably too controversial to.
1: Uh,
2: well, I think so. It's too controversial for the trans community to accept right mm-hmm. now, but that's separate from whether or not people want to read about it because. Like, as I argue in the opening chapter, it seems that the inclusion in the mainstream portion of the LGBT coalition, the the gender-based portion of that coalition, it seems that there's just two sexual propensities that get you included. Because the LGB is same-sex attraction. And then the T and the Q, you know, the T is just same-sex attraction and auto-heterosexuality, you know, cross-gender attraction. And the Q is, you know, that's amorphous, but it seems that... Like it in terms of gender, it anything outside of allo-heterosexuality is queer. So that that leaves just same-sex attraction and cross-gender attraction. And so it seems that there's basically two time ty- types of queer if we're just talking about just gender. Um, and this is the other kind. So I, th- I actually think a lot of people will want to read it because they'll want to understand sexuality and gender. And this is this is the other type of queer. Basically, we already know about same sex attraction. That's established. And now there's this one other type. And then once people understand both types, they'll get it. So I actually think there's gonna be a quick uptake in terms of people being interested in it. And also, due to how social media is driven by controversy and outrage mm-hmm. that ab- the advertising is built into this. Very good point. Yeah. yeah and also i'm biased but i think it's pretty good it is really um, good and it it's
0: is. yeah yeah it, it answers <laughs> many you. questions that need to be answered
1: yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see if the recep how the reception is similar or different from what mike bailey experienced you know because you are an author with this experience you know speaking from right. not only not only the research but also you know you have the you have the the chops to to speak on it with as an authority with that experience in a way that Mike Bailey did it. So Mike Bailey was a sort of immediately blacklisted as you're just a, a straight man who hates trans people.
2: Right. And so something I've I've learned in dealing with with wokeism is that identity armor only goes so far. <laughs> Like, if you go against the consensus, your identity doesn't mean jack shit at that point. So it's it's really, your identity matters as long as you're agreeing with everyone. So I don't think it'll help me at all. and It's going to be intense as fuck to have that much decentralized outrage and outright emotional terrorism directed my way. But, I mean, someone had to do it. And... I didn't want to have to wear pants for work anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> now I get to be a professional transvestite, which is much better, much better.
1: That's funny. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've had the experience of um, just because we're trans doesn't mean that we have a total free pass to say things against the the current political narrative out there. Um, and in, so, in some ways, I think because you have the credibility as someone who's who has this experience um that could that could you know enrage people even more that how you know what is sort of seen as a traitor of the community that how dare you speak of these things um as you know one of us
2: right it they'll be mad in that sense of like how dare you do that to your own kind, but also mm-hmm. you're not one of our own kind because then that means that like what you're talking about actually exists like there's this, this weird duality there that will be incoherent but it will be undoubtedly full of rage
0: and it'll just be the, the, how they how they explain all that is you're just filled with self-hatred and therefore
2: you <laughs> yeah, know, they when, don't have
0: to accept it but then they also do accept that you are trans yeah
2: yeah the self-hatred thing cracks me up because of its illogicalness i'm talk i'm talk. it's literally a love of yourself <laughs> as a thing philia is in the name but it's not hate it's love and so, it it just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: That's what we've been saying too. Like, how is it hateful to to speak the truth about your experience and 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 like I see it as self acceptance. Even what we're doing with gender dysphoria alliance, trying to be as evidence based and truthful about our, our own experiences as possible, is a form of self acceptance. You know, hiding behind a political narrative is self hatred.
2: Yeah. It, Exactly. I find that being honest, that helps so much with self acceptance, you know, I, by, I've talked about this with hundreds of people in real life. And in real life, talking to people, it goes perfectly fine. Once you have a computer separating you, completely different dynamics, mm-hmm. completely different. Because uh, there's all the, you can do moral grandstanding and such at that point. It's similar to road um, rage too, because there's yeah. road yeah, rage you, exactly. can, you, can, you can blow up and, you know, flip someone the bird and drive off. There's no accountability. Yeah. Once there's that, that technological interface that mediates human interaction rather than having it be direct, the dynamics are way different and you just basically can't have compassion for the other person in the same way. With that
1: said, do you think you will tour to promote the book and actually like do speaking engagements? Um,
2: I feel like yeah, people have asked me like you can do a book tour, and I'm thinking, do you? The publishing industry doesn't work that way anymore, you know, like the physically moving your body to a place to have, if you're lucky, like twenty or thirty people show up to buy a copy of your book. the The finances just don't make sense. The effort makes doesn't make sense. I think effectively, like what we're doing right here is the modern version of book touring. Going on podcasts is book touring. And so in that sense. Also safer given the
0: content of the book. Huh? I said also safer given the content of the book.
2: Oh, yeah. And the thing is the content. Of... Yeah, it's it's more like the reaction to the content. Yeah, um, it's it's yeah it's gonna be pretty intense uh i've I've been i mean I've worried about what's gonna happen for a couple of years. I'm kind of burnt out on worrying, so it like doesn't happen as much anymore um but yeah it's it's not gonna be easy, but I just considering these orientations arise generation after generation, I just kept asking at what point is it going to be okay to to speak the truth and be honest about it? Because there's people transitioning right now and taking hormones, getting surgeries, and they don't know the ultimate reason why. And considering it's an informed consent model for so many of these people, and they're literally not informed, it, it kind of jeopardizes their ability to consent to the situation. And that, that bothers me. I don't think that optimizes the well-being of my kind if they don't understand the condition they're trying to treat.
1: I agree with you. Informed consent you know, implies that we are well-informed and, and that we understand ourselves and our motivations. So, and I, I'm concerned. i concerned, I don't even know how many clinicians are being well-informed at this point. I mean, if if they're receiving <laughs> training on how to do gender-affirming inf- care, they're not being
2: taught about
1: auto-heterosexuality yeah. or any mm-hmm.
2: of that. No, and something I found just, I, I've asked a few people online, hey, have you ever, did you mention to your doctor or therapist about, AGP? And when you did, did they know about it? And most of the, most of them don't mention it, first of all. So the the doc, the clinicians are not hearing about it. And the ones that do then hear about it, they don't often don't even know about it. And it's like the three that I talked to, like between like a therapist and a couple doctor types, zero of them had heard about autogynophilia, zero of them. And it, thankfully the, the doctor did diagnose me with transvestic disorder with autogynophilia, because I'm sure that that pulled up once typing in that term, which I'm pretty proud of. That's a cool ass diagnosis. Um, and that's all it, you can also segue that one into a gender dysphoria one. So I would like to encourage my fellow AGPs out there to get diagnosed with transvestic disorder. Um, with autogynophilia as the specifier. And yeah, basically, the clinicians don't, these are two fundamentally different conditions they're trying to treat. And the clinicians don't know that they don't, it seems like they don't care, (laughs) which is, I don't know, it, it kind of boggles my mind, like, they're just, they're kind of dropping the ball on their job of being knowledgeable and trying to have the best outcome for the patient.
0: Yeah, I think they all kind of subtly know that they're not allowed to know. Essentially, that if you, yeah. if you start digging, um, you know, potentially there goes your license. Uh, it's it's like the 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 lack of care and the lack of knowledge is is kind of uh
2: right. institutionalized at this, at this point. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I want to fix that because that just seems. Like, how can they do their jobs right if they don't know the cause of the condition when it's already well established knowledge that there's these two main clusters of gender mm-hmm. issues it, it and you know something I want to mention about that that there are these two different types, and it seems that since since the ratio of the two types varies so much between Western individualistic countries and Eastern collectivist countries um. It, Whereas like like in the Eastern countries, the homosexual type is more common. And then in the West, the auto-heterosexual type is more common. And so it seems to me that the it's the auto-heterosexual type that legitimately wants everything transition has to offer. It's not like a reaction to society or discrimination or heteronormativity. It's not a reaction to internalized homophobia. It's like they literally want what transition has to offer. And so if the point of transition is to help trans people themselves then i think it is good that most of the people transitioning are of auto heterosexual ideology because they they get great emotional and spiritual rewards from from pursuing such a path for those who want to do it and it yeah i'm curious of your guys thoughts on that that considering we do have more agency to choose to transition here in the West and most of the people choosing transition seem to be of auto heterosexual ideology, like it kind of implies that that's the one that wants it more and will benefit from it more, you know, on on average. I know both types can benefit, but I'm just saying like on average.
0: I, I was thinking about that uh, earlier while, while reading your book. It's because, because the, the, the driver is internal and not, external and Mm -hmm. and it's not going to you know it's not going to fluctuate based on your your community your surrounding it's 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 something that's so internally driven it seems like that that motivation is going to have a greater success rate than than just then transition for external factors if that makes sense
2: yeah that that's sort of that's sort of my feeling on it and so Yeah, I just want to be clear. I'm not against transition for either of the two types. Um, I think that they're both can benefit from transition, both types and both sexes. All four groups can benefit from transition, but that I think it's important for scientists to start measuring these four different groups in their studies and finding out the outcomes for each of these four groups because they're four different situations. And until um, until we stop merging trans into just one thing called trans, or just two types of trans in terms of two different sexes like until we start splitting the different groups into the four groups and figure out what works best for each group then I don't think we're gonna really fine-tune the best way of of addressing gender dysphoria
0: and I think gender dysphoria should also always come with an autism uh, screening because the, the correlation is just too strong. And I think some people, once they have that knowledge, I know we've spoken to detransitioners who got an autism diagnosis after transitioning and realized all of my gender issues were due to this this autism. Well, had I had I known this, I wouldn't have transitioned. Obviously, many others are- well, like what say- if
2: they were autosexual? Like that's my guess. Right. Whenever autism, probably autosexual. Mm-hmm. If they, if they cross the line into transitioning, it- it's probably auto sexuality was behind it. And a lot of times they won't mention that because of the whole shame thing. Right, right. You know, and I think so, for, and
0: a lot yeah. of those people are often female as well. And I think the even identifying it as as auto sexuality is, is much more uh, much more gray than uh, than for a male to identify auto sexuality is my. My my feeling as well, and it's usually that where I get that here that if I had known I had autism, I wouldn't have transitioned. It it seems to be primarily from uh, from females,
2: right? More. And it, yeah, and it does seem that autism in females seems to be a particularly strong contributor to gender issues, mm-hmm. like particularly because they'll have a stronger sense of gender alienation because autism is a little more male-brained in some ways, and so I think they'll feel. A I think I do think that in general, autism contributes to gender issues more strongly in females than in males. You know, when if we're just comparing groups of autists of both sexes, like the females are more affected by it on average. But I, I do think that autosexuality is likely co occurrent in these people and they just don't know it.
0: Mm-hmm. I tend to agree. And I think on that we should we should wrap it up. But I would yeah. we didn't cover uh, auto heterosexual or auto androphilia as much as I, I think we could so I'd uh, love to have you back and, and kind of go into that into more detail if if you'd like
2: yeah that would be a awesome conversation. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me Aaron. Aaron Squared thank you <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a first
0: I like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks Will thanks yeah
1: thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast if you enjoy our content please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe if you'd like to make a donation Follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.